Well, good morning, Waters Church. My name is Lorenzo Michele Giorgio Agnes. Uh, you could just call me Mr. President. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My name's Lorenzo, and it's an absolute joy to be with you. Um, sorry, I just need to connect to this puppy so I can control my slides. We will get there, and there we are. So, um, uh, I'm married to Delray, who is a little bit of a Marilyn Monroe look-alike. For those of you my age, you'll appreciate that that means she's quite pretty, and only in terms of looks, that's all. And then we have a daughter of 23 going on 50 by the name of Bianca. Um, and man, you ladies definitely grow up more quickly than the boys and are always ahead of us in every way. So I have two people in my family who are constantly ahead of me, my wife and my daughter. And then our son Joel is 20, he'll be 21 in a couple of weeks. He's good looking, tall, he has a 12 pack. He's <laughs> two inches taller than me, thank you for understanding that. I, sometimes I make that joke and I get no response and I'm like 12 pack, you know, six pack, forget about it. Anyway, this is his shirt, which he doesn't know I took out of his cupboard which he hates when I do, and it's purely to get back, because that's what he does to me. It is great as your kids get older, how you can get back at them in nonviolent but equally frustrating ways. <laughs> and all the parents are like, I think I just received some healing right now. <laughs> uh, but we are very, very tightly knit family, and uh, we love each other, our kids are our best friends. And um, this is a whole other message for another day, but I wear, my son's shirts when I travel on purpose to remind me that family and people are everything. And I have this phrase that I use now, and it is, wear your children. Wear your children. You can start with their clothes. Wear your children. My Facebook uh, profile picture is a picture of Joel picking me up and lifting me up over his shoulder <clears throat> Thank God he kept my head from hitting the floor. And he just did it in a moment. I was shoving him. I'm like, I've still got guns. I can take you anytime. And he was eating something. He put it down. He says, okay. And he just picks me up and my wife happened to take the picture. But I want to say, even uh, in this church, look after your spiritual kids. You know, they're not tomorrow's church. There's no such thing as tomorrow's church. There's only today's church. And they are not just our future, they're our present. Amen. All right, that was for free. So I want to speak to you this morning a message about the kingdom of God. Uh, I left a, a very happy, fruitful time of ministry in upstate New York in Schenectady. We used to be with Pastor Guys in Norwood. The Lord moved us there 16 years ago. And a few years ago, God <clears throat> spoke to me about giving up actually a super happy and whatever position, um, and to live by faith and to begin a journey, and I will do this for the rest of my life, Lord willing, to talk about the kingdom and to get the message of the kingdom of God, not just to the church, but to the world as well. You know, when Jesus began his public ministry after he'd been baptized in the River Jordan, filled with the Spirit, and when he first begins to preach, the Bible says that the first words out of his mouth were, repent, for the assemblies of God is at hand. 
Come on, that's heresy. He didn't say that. He said, repent for the kingdom. Work with me, people. I know it's Sunday morning, but (laughs) for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then over the next three years, together with his hand-picked apostles, his disciples, he demonstrated, he taught them what it was, demonstrated what it looked like, and put it into them so that they could spend the next Uh, however many years, the rest of their lives, repeating that. And friends, if Jesus is our head and we are his body, it is still our responsibility to bring the kingdom of God in the church and into the world. So won't you go with me, please, and can we read together 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to verse 4. And this is the apostle Paul speaking to Timothy and encouraging him But although these words were written for Timothy, they apply to us today as well as God's children. And this is the exhortation. Preach the word, because of course we understand the kingdom from the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. It's an expectation from God that I will be prepared. It's my job to get myself prepared and then to live in a state of preparedness so that you can correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. And then he goes on in the following two verses to explain that there's a time coming when people are just going to do their own thing. And when Paul addresses this letter to Timothy, he's not talking about the world only. He's also talking about those who will call themselves followers of Jesus and who will speak into the life of the church. And he says, listen, these dear folk are going to do their own thing. They are going to want to have their own kingdom and rule their own lives, and they are going to slowly but surely turn away from God to such an extent that they'll move away from the truth, interesting language and and very powerful actually, they'll actually turn away from the truth and turn towards myths. And I don't know about you, but you can just visit a few blogs and see the junk that's out there in the name of Jesus. People who are doing crazy stuff, I call them charismatics. Do you like that word? Thank you. It's good. Eh? I nearly fell off my seat. I nearly wet myself when I first heard it because it's so perfect. We, I am a classic, what I call a classical Pentecostal. We are charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, of course. Right? Jesus is the same today, yesterday, forever. He's building his church today in the same way he did when he brought the kingdom. The gifts of the Spirit are for today as they were for then. That's how he does it. But we're not crazy people. It drives me to, not to drink, literally. It it makes, it nearly, (laughs) I said that earlier to somebody, and by their slightly nervous reaction, I realized, okay, I have to change how I say that. You know, it nearly drives me to drink the way sometimes, you know, preachers, guys and girls, and, and, I don't know, folk in church, they do really, can I just be frank, stupid stuff, and then they blame Jesus, and they blame the Holy Spirit, and the people they're talking to are going, Well, if that's the kind of God you serve, I'm really not interested, you know? And so he says, listen, you got to prepare yourself, right? you got to preach the word. Get into the scriptures. Next scripture, Matthew 24, verse 9 to verse 13. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, 
near the end of his ministry and explaining to them prophetically, this is what's coming in the world. This is the world that you guys are going to be ministering into. You know, Jesus, as a leader, was perfect in the way that he prepared his disciples, in that he gave them just enough knowledge so that they could get themselves ready, so that when this stuff happened, they wouldn't just freak out and, oh my goodness me, what am I going to do now? And he was very frank. I mean, you can say he was blunt, actually. And he says, listen, then you, and he's looking at them, and this applies to us, you will be persecuted, and you will be put to death. Isn't it great to be a Christian? And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Praise the Lord. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Friends, is this describing 2013, 2014, or what? This is the world we find ourselves in. Because of the increase of wickedness, the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved, right? But he who stands firm, who does it, will be saved. The responsibility to stand firm is mine. Yes, Jesus in his grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has brought me with sanct beautiful worship this morning. Man, I just want to steal Shane. I want to steal your worship team. I definitely want to steal this back wall, because this is literally the coolest... <laughs> background I've ever preached again. Forgive me, I'm ADD, so we'll, we'll get back to that. I think it's a spiritual gift, but I do actually, really. And I literally want to like pose against this wall, you know, get a couple of shots and put that up on my blog, because for the really shallow people who follow me, it'll just cause me to be in higher esteem in their estimation. But uh, pay attention. Anyway, so... The two things that we get out of these scriptures, out of these two passages, are be prepared, do it, take ownership of this, be, live in a state of preparedness, and stand. I love how the language is full of practical doing language. The Bible is full of it. Be prepared and stand firm. Now, the world that we're living today it is a world full of selfishness and greed and all these things, slavery, rebellion, all these things. And there is a message that comes through all the time if you're listening, and the message is this. It's the same message that Satan used in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That naughty woman, she ruined everything. Okay, her husband followed her, but she started it. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, I'm half kidding. So anyway, the two, the two of them rep together representing, no, I'm kidding, representing mankind that when, the, I mean, the one thing that God said, please don't do that for your own good. Don't eat of that tree. And Satan comes and in essence, what does the devil say to them? In essence, this is his message. Is God really God? I mean, who does he think he is? You're your own person. You're the king of your own life. When our kids were smaller, 
And my daughter used to order my son around. She's a very organized, structured person. So, you know, I mean, when she was like 9, 10, 11, it's a gift, really. It's a blessing. But, you know, when it's Christmas time and she's kind of instructing the rest of us how we're going to open our presents, when we're going to open them, even just a few days ago at Christmas, you know, my daughter and my wife, they got a trash bag. So as we're opening presents, we're putting wrapping paper so the floor won't be messed. And I'm like, Listen, I'm still the boss here sometimes. Put that bag away. Let's just open the presents and enjoy the sheer carnality of the moment. And then you can put the, right, the wrapping paper. Anyway, so she had this instinct. And I'll never forget Joel. Man, he was a cute kid. And he just stood there one day and he just went like this. He finally had enough. He, He must have been like seven or eight. And he just frowned like this. And he said, I won't. You're not the boss of me. Just like this. You know, I had to go into the kitchen because I was laughing so much, and I kind of found my life motto for the next few years, you know? Um, and so just recently, I, about two weeks ago, my wife asked me to get, make her some tea, and I went, I won't. You're not the boss of me, you know? And she cracked up laughing after she slapped me, and it was really... Um, <laughs> And it's a funny, cute story, and it's part of our family history and who we are and stuff. But, you know, afterwards, we were laughing about it, and I started talking about this. I said, you know, there is always that instinct within us which Satan appealed to, to want to be the king of our own lives. And the message of the world is, you know, if you can just be king and you rule in your own life, everything will be fine because you're great. You know exactly what you should have and what you want to do. All right, so keep that in the back of your mind, and then let's go to Colossians 3, and we'll read verse 1 to 3 and 16, 17 out of that chapter. Now, this is the Bible's uh, solution, if you wish, part of the solution, the encouragement. How do we, as Christians, prepare ourselves, stand firm, How do we reject this message of the world to be king of our own lives? How do we live, actually, and cope with the world that we find ourselves in, that even in our own blessed country, increasingly is dethroning Jesus as king, and very publicly so? Since then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above. Do you know in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets, when the word heart is used, it represents the whole person. You know, we have, uh, we take that scripture, it's one of my favorites, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because we come from a, a, a Hellenistic tradition of reason and logic, from a Greek tradition of thought and study, much of our legal system is still based on Greco-Roman thought, which is more logical, whereas Hebrew thought is much more mystical and works as a whole. It doesn't work in compartments. So we don't think in terms, we shouldn't think in terms of, I'm going to love Jesus with my mind and my heart and my soul and my strength. The way that Jews approached it, when they used the word heart, it means all of you, your spirit, your soul, the invisible, the visible. And so when he's really... um, uh, again, giving us not just an encouragement, but it's a, 
a way to live our lives. You've been raised with Christ. Remember, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's seated at the Father's right hand. The Bible teaches us that if you are a born-again Christian and you, Jesus is your king, that you reside with him. Literally, we live in a, there's a, I, I'm not exactly sure how it works. It's a mystery. When we die and go to be with him, we'll understand it fully. But we are with Christ. And so he says, therefore, you can set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And he says, in terms of your thinking, the place that your mind, where you make the decisions that shape your life, set your thinking on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. And the picture that he paints is this. This is literally what it means. It's as if you have been taken and placed inside Jesus. So if I took your cell phone and I hid it in the trunk of your car, it is contained within another space. That's what he's saying. You know, you've been raised, you've taken care of spiritually, your destiny is settled. You know, uh, commit your whole self to living from a heavenly perspective. Not from an earthly perspective trying to pull heaven down, but from a heavenly perspective thinking like Jesus does, feeling the thoughts he feels, being like your king, considering Christ your king, and then you bring that down and exercise it on earth. And verse 16 and 17 says, how do we understand this? How do we get to this? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, this is an interesting word because it's a permissive word. Let the word of Christ implies that the word of Christ wants to dwell in you. I was saying yesterday evening, I love this word. I love this word. When I spend time in, in Europe, we do a lot of leadership development in, in, with emerging leaders in third world countries. And anyway, a lot of my work was done in Bulgaria, is done in Bulgaria. And what I learned from the Bulgarians is dwelling. You know, you start early in the morning. By the way, they take copious notes. It's happened to me that three years later, some young lady came up to me and said, you know, three years ago when you were here, you spoke on in the morning session and you had four points. I've got your first, second, and fourth. What was your third point? And I looked at her and in all seriousness, I said, honey, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, you know? And she looked at me like, Okay, whatever. Anyway, what was your third point? Like she thought I actually remember everything I preach, you know. But then you go through what? Then you have dinner. Then you have a wonderful service. Then there's usually prayer lines till 12.31 in the morning, whatever, at least midnight. And then afterwards, the young people invite you to come hang out with them so you can talk more about the stuff you just talked about during the day. And I realized, you know what it is? It's dwelling. It's dwelling. It's being around one another. It's staying in a place and absorbing and being absorbed. And that's the picture. Let the word of Jesus dwell in you, but you've got to let it. So that whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, you're going to be doing it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. So do you see that to be prepared and to stand firm and to be able to resist the kingship message of the world, it all comes down to the word. I remember a few years ago, I really shocked our church. I didn't know that there would, there would be this reaction. When I said to them in a moment of real honesty, do you know as a pastor, the two things that I've most struggled with in the earlier part of my ministry was regular quiet time 
and regular prayer. Because the ministry is really a 24-7 job, it is so busy, and you fall into the trap of thinking that because I'm working for God full-time, which all of us are, by the way, I'm just doing it in a different place, that's just true, and I it's a delusion. It literally, it's a deception in a way. You know, because I'm doing God's work, God will understand if I'm not constantly in his word. Well, Jesus doesn't need me to be in the word for his sake. He is the word. He needs me to be in the word and to dwell in it for my sake because he speaks to me mostly through his word. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with your Bible reading, quit everything else that you need to do except watching the Patriots and get into your Bible study. I'm still a Patriots fan, folks. Oh, no. It drives my New York friends crazy, but I couldn't care less. And you know why I support the Patriots? Because I used to be a great, I'm, I'm an artist trying to be a minister, so I was a graphic designer. I, I love your church, so well designed, everything. Pay attention. I don't want to distract me. Do you know why I love the Patriots? They have the coolest logo in the whole NFL. Hey? And the name, the Patriots. The history and that little flowing and Tom Brady is really good looking. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about that. I'm very happily married. He's just <laughs> nice to look at. What can I tell you? You know? Roethlisberger, not so much. Anyway, so <laughs> what you do is, in terms of living as a, a kingdom life, you can write this down or just take a picture of it with your phone because it'll help you. When you are faced with a decision, with a situation where the world is whispering, be your own king. Maybe there's a difficult thing that you have to deal with. Ask yourselves these four questions. Is what I'm facing Christian? If I'm being offered something, is it Christ-centered? Is it kingdom? Secondly, if I respond in the way that I've chosen, am I being a Christian? You know, friends, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a state in our nation has come to a place where increasingly we will have to decide whether we are American or Christian. Because our American culture is rapidly becoming, parts of it, quite anti-Christian. Do you hear what I'm saying? I've been here 20 years and I've seen this country change so much. Am I being Christian? Number three, maybe this is the most important one. If I choose to behave the way that I'm going to, will Jesus be revealed? Because friends, our goal is to bring people who don't yet know the king to the king and to bring them to his feet so that they can meet him. And then lastly, if I end up doing the thing that I believe God wants me to do, will his kingdom be applied? A few years ago, um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a quiet time very clearly, very clearly, like I'm talking to you. It was one of those conversations. I saw a picture of the globe, and God spoke to me, and I just read an article. This was about four or five years ago. That half of the world's population, 3.5 billion people, one in two people on earth, listen to these words, friends, have never heard the name of Jesus one time. I know because we live in a Christianized country, we live with the assumption, it's, it's, it's a deception in a way, 
uh, and the, de the devil would be happy for us to keep living with this, that almost everybody on earth, I mean, there's TV, there's satellites, there's the internet. No, one in two people has never heard the name of Jesus. And the thought that came to me was this, that for us to be able to get the good news of the king to them and his kingdom and all that goes with it, the power, the miracles, the healing, all that, a local church can't do it on its own. Even denominations cannot do, cannot do it on their own. But the church worldwide working together under the banner of the kingdom will do it together. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Bring the kingdom. Share the kingdom. Introduce people to the king. This is the king that we know, our Lord Jesus. Friends, he is the king of kings. It's not a title that he's going to get when he returns. Remember, the Bible tells us he finished all of what he was supposed to accomplish on the cross. He destroyed, the Bible says, destroyed all the works of the devil and defeated all the power of the devil. I hate this image, this picture that there is, made popular by some popular songs where you see Jesus is playing cards with the devil for souls, and they're both sweating bullets, and he just wins with a final hand. No, God is infinite. Satan is finite. By definition, there's no comparison between them. Jesus has already accomplished all that needs to be, uh, needs to be accomplished. We just have to enforce it. Please hear me, friends. You need never be afraid of the devil, ever. Trust me. Demons see you coming in the shopping mall, they go the other way. They go to Best Buy if you're in the Apple store. <laughs> Come on, I've been married 28 years. I've been with Apple longer than I've been with my wife. But anyway, seriously, because the king lives in us by spirit. Remember when the demons saw Jesus, they were afraid of him. Have you come to torment us before? Do you think the demons today would react any differently to the king who lives in us by spirit? Of course not. It's, we just have to get busy with the work of advancing the kingdom. All right, so let's take just a few minutes and look at what the kingdom looks like. So every kingdom has three R's. I've titled this message R to the power of three because if you can just remember these three R's, I think it'll help you. Hopefully it'll help you. Every kingdom has a ruler. Thank God that our ruler is the king of all kings. It's Jesus. The ruler establishes values. So for example, uh, equality is a value in the kingdom. There is therefore now neither Greek nor Jew, neither free nor slave, right? There's no ritual. In the kingdom, the value is equality because all of us are equally saved by the power of Jesus. That's why we never tolerate racism or class differences or any of those kind of things. It's not because we're politically correct and modern. It's because that's what the kingdom is like. Every ruler establishes his rule, and his rule, by definition, introduces culture. We have a culture in the kingdom. The kingdom is generous. The culture of the kingdom is powerful. It is liberating. It is positive. It's always advancing. It's hopeful. It's respectful. And the ruler, through his rules, naturally rules through rules. There are practices. 
There are things that we do in the kingdom, which Jesus demonstrated to us, and the things that we don't do. Now listen, let me freak you out just a little bit. In your house, you have a king. It's either mom or dad. Sometimes it's one of the kids. And you can decide and go home and debate and fight over it. I'm not going to get into this. And that king, that person who actually really actually exercises authority, it's not automatically the dad. It should be, but it's not automatic. Establishes the culture through values that they introduce and the culture naturally produces practice. By the way, those of you who own companies, you know you do this every day in your company. Every church has these things. What you have to do is make sure that they line up with the Word of God, which is why you need to dwell in the Scriptures and follow the example of our King, Jesus. Now, for us to be able to be a part of the kingdom, we have to believe in the ruler. Do you know... There is this contradiction in the Christian walk that the longer you know Christ and the more you get to know the Scriptures, it is a contradiction. I struggle with it from time to time. And because you know He's so gracious and so good, sometimes easier is the temptation to not do what the King asks. That's just immaturity, right? But if you know the ruler, you'll understand that his rule is nothing but gracious and beneficial and powerful and life-transforming. And do you know that what you believe changes how you behave? I was telling the folks yesterday, silly, but for me a very important example. I hate running. Running's not of the kingdom. Running was invented by the devil. It's one of the things that he introduced to Adam and Eve because they ran away from God. I just made that up. It's absolute heresy. Don't listen to a word I said. But man, there's some truth in there somewhere. Man, I've got to think about this. That is awesome. I've never said that before. And I hated running. And then I've had some health issues and I just turned 52 in December. Belated birthday gifts will be accepted after the service. But I just turned 52. No, seriously. And You know what happened to me was, in one day, I know this is going to sound totally silly, in one day, and forgive me, it sounds almost shallow, I can only say that God changed my thinking, and I love running. Like in one day, we were down in Charlotte, my wife and I, for a few weeks helping out at church. All right, it's warm and everything. Listen, when I said to my wife on the third day, oh, I can't wait for three o'clock, I'm going for my run. She like looked at me. This is one of those movie moments. And he dropped the plate. When I told my kids on FaceTime, they literally started laughing out loud, you know. Um, Do you know why? I believe now that if I look after my body, I'll be around a bit longer. And if I want to be effective for ministry, I've got to take care of myself. It changed my behavior. And I'm becoming almost as good looking as my son. No, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Sorry. My wife would be sitting in front going like, stick to the point. All right, the point is, when you believe in the ruler, and the ruler you believe in, by the way, whether it's your president or your boss or a family member, the ruler you believe in shapes your behavior, and those two things form what you become, and that's the faith. That's the faith that we practice. All right, the ruler. 
When you come to know Jesus the King, you find yourself submitting to him quite easily. And you know, when you submit to Christ, it becomes very easy to obey him. In terms of the practices, the rules, listen friends, obedience is not difficult. When you know Jesus, it's really not hard to submit to him, is it? It's really not hard. When you're in communion with him on a daily basis and you see his kingdom reshaping your life and making you more like him, you become a Christian. So in closing, the king makes you a Christian. The kingdom of God is what we would call Christianity. It's his rule, his authority, and it's his rules, his practices. The victory we get is maturity. We grow up into Christ. What is the surest sign that the kingdom is present in a church or in your life? It's that there's maturity, is that there's grown upness in your midst. So this is part one of a two-part message. I'm going to be back next week to torment you a little bit more. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to do this myself, as you go through the week, because we'll do part two next week, um, to take those four questions I gave you earlier, and each day, somewhere in the day, ask yourself these questions. Is what I'm doing Christian in its thought? Is my practice that of a Christian? Remember that you've been raised with Christ, so how, how would I be able to know if it is? Take your thinking, take your emotions, place them in the hands of Jesus, literally have a conversation with Christ and say, Lord, I'm hidden in you. What would you do in this circumstance? And if you hear nothing, go to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will lead you to an example which will show you how Jesus would deal with it. He loves us. I mean, he walks with us closer than a brother. And then you ask yourself, if I take this action, will Christ be revealed and will his kingdom be applied? Because the Bible expects that everything that I do or say should be in the name of Jesus. Listen, this is a, actually, we've had a bit of fun this morning, but this is actually a tough message. This is, this is a grown-up message. I used the phrase, just, I've been in the States 20 years, and when I first came, I used to use South Africanisms, which offended everybody. And after a year, one of the leaders said to me, you know, these nine words you've been using are like swear words to us. I said, you've waited nine months to tell me that I've been offending the church every week. Anyway, I thought I'd gotten rid of those. And then recently, last year in one of my sermons, I was like, you know, folks, we need to put on grown-up pants. This is big people pants message. Because in England, that means long pants. I didn't know that it was adult diapers in America. <laughs> I see my wife turning red, shrinking to a seat, you know, and afterwards she's like, I can't believe I thought you were over that stuff. Like, how old are you, you know? I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. What did I do wrong? She said, you just talked about nappies in church, diapers in church. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Anyway, my daughter's like, Dad, you know, um, you shouldn't do stuff for shock value. I really, I, was, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so I'm still going to use that phrase, forgive me if it offends you. It's time for big people pants, you know. Um, for us, we are at a place in our nation's history where we have to be kingdom and we have to live the kingdom. And so won't you bow your heads with me, please? Uh, I want to just pray with you this morning and trust God that through his word, and as it dwells in us richly, that he'll take us to a whole new place in him.
Father, I just bless you for this congregation, for your family. I thank you for your sons and daughters who are present here, each and every one. Thank you, Lord, for your hand upon our lives. Thank you for your blessing upon us. But now I pray, Lord, for your favor to be our portion. I pray that where there's been conviction today, that you will bring that to fruition. Lord, where there's been challenge, that that will bear fruit. But Lord, that all of us will come to a whole new place in our relationship with our ruler, and that we will allow you to rule in our lives as never before, and that we will live according to your rules. And Lord, put a desire in our hearts more than ever before to want to study your word so we can know what it is that you expect of us. May we always be prepared. May we stand firm for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Thank you.